you know, as parents, we don't always listen to what our kids are saying, right? Because we're so caught up in parenting. We're so caught up in like the world and doing it and all those things. One of the advantages that I think you and I both have is knowing what it's like internally, like knowing what it feels like to be on the other side of that tag that's the only thing you can think about and you can't even like figure out how to put your shoe on because you're just thinking like this is going to drive me over the edge all day long. So I had that advantage when I was you know with parenting, but not all parents understand that internal struggle and what they see is that outward behavior, right? So they don't see it as like there's something here that's actually really upsetting. They see it as my child's behaving in an upsetting way. And so when I talk with parents and I do a lot of, you know, parent workshops, I do that a lot of kind of parent training. The first thing I say is like, you need to think of behavior as a form of communication, right? Behavior is always communicating something. Dr. Ross Green says the most amazing thing. He says, you know, kids will do well if they can. And, and that has stuck with me for so many years. And they will, they, they want to do well. You talked about them craving connection and you talked about, and they, they want to be loved. They want to be liked. They want to be part of the crowd. Well, some of them, I mean, I actually am thinking about myself. I never really wanted to be part of the crowd. I'm not a, like to this day, I'm not sure people would not, people I know would laugh if they heard me say that because I act like I'm part of the crowd, right? but I would much rather sort of be in the corner with a book somewhere. Welcome to Princess in the Pea podcast, a show where we talk about all things neurodiversity with those who know it best, lived experience, of course. I'm your host, Annie Crow, and I'm an autistic ADHDer. I started this podcast so I could share meaningful conversations that explore the lives of neurodivergent people like myself. We talk about everything from employment to healthcare, education, parenting, relationships, mental health, and more, but all with a neurospicy lens. Before we kick off, I just wanted to add a quick content warning for little ears. This podcast will be discussing mental health issues and serious adult business. So chuck on your headphones and grab a cup of tea. And as Bluey likes to say, let's do this. Today's guest is an exceptional human and thought leader, Amanda Morin. I can think of no one more suitable to be our very first international guest. Coming to you from across the Pacific, all the way in Maine, United States, Amanda is my favorite twice exceptional human, but she explains it much better in this episode, so stay tuned. As twice exceptional humans, our needs are often overlooked due to our capacity to cope and mask and get by, even rather well sometimes. However, this does not negate the very important support and compassion we need, and also it doesn't show how much we truly struggle either internally or behind closed doors. Most neurodivergent kids who are recognized in school are either the top of the class or the troublemakers, two extremes. The kids who are bright but get comments on reports like they would be at the top of the class if they only tried harder or talked less or focused more or applied themselves. Insert ableist comment here. 
are the ones who are sadly overlooked and often forgotten. They don't get praise, they don't get the praise they deserve, and they don't get the support they truly need. I attended the virtual Bright and Quirky Summit earlier this year in an effort to better understand my own twice exceptionality, and I came across Amanda who did an incredible presentation on how to advocate for your communication preferences at work. I've never taken so many notes in my entire life. I have since followed her very closely online and and begged her to come on the show before I even started. I just knew I had to help share her wealth of knowledge and experience all bundled up in the most eloquent explanations I've come across. I ended up enjoying myself so much that we recorded more than enough for two separate episodes. Big shout out to Amanda for obliging me and sharing her extremely valuable time so generously. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. In this episode, we talk about being openly neurodivergent, internalized ableism, twice exceptionality, giftedness, asynchronous development, relative discrepancies, the importance of language, behavior as a form of communication, self-advocacy, inclusive communication, making the implicit explicit, adulting, sensory issues, and more. And in our next episode, part two, we discuss workplace accommodations and flexibility, busy minds, freelancing, productivity, optimizing workload, meaningful work, deadlines and dopamine, dyslexic thinking, social model of disability, neurodiversity acceptance and celebration, universal design, communication preferences, creating a work culture that is truly inclusive, our harsh inner critics, self-acceptance and so much more. This is two jam-packed episodes and I hope you fall in love with Amanda as much as I have. Enjoy! Thank you for being here today, Amanda. We're so excited to have you as our first international guest and I couldn't pick a better person that I love to follow. I'm so excited that we could make this work and figure out the time zone math because yes. that was a whole thing in itself. It so I'm, thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, yeah. that's okay. No, I, I like I was saying to Amanda before, I'm not the best morning person. And usually I do these recordings at nighttime after my toddler's gone to bed, but I absolutely would make would make an exception for you. And yeah, just forgive me for my brain warming up, everyone. <laughs> Well, and you'll need to forgive me because I'm on nighttime here. Oh, true. So You're we're, winding we're, down. We're the same, I'm winding down. So we're yeah. the same kind of brain That's space, That's I think. Good. Oh, poor listeners. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so I have listened to you in all formats and uh, I just wanted to share with our listeners, I guess, my first uh, exposure to you was at the Bright and Quirky Summit earlier this year, which is for, uh, twi- you know, gifted children. Uh, and uh, as someone who's been told by my all my specialists that I was a gifted child, even though it wasn't recognized as a child, I'm still trying to put my identity together. And so I tuned into Bright and Quirky and the fact that my son, who's only a toddler, is already showing very much signs the same as me, you know, early to talk, early to walk, very, very, very switched on. And I'm already like, uh-oh. <laughs> Here right. we go. <laughs> so I have, I have, you know, two reasons for being interested in that, uh, in preparation for him and also just learning about myself. But um, I absolutely loved your talk, which uh, I took the absolute most notes on, which was talking all about 
as you know, but for the guests, um, was talking all about your amazing, um, you know, self-advocacy at work and explaining what your communication preferences are. Uh, I was just blown away because I've never heard anyone speak about that. And you, you did it in such a like matter-of-fact way. I was actually really surprised to learn that you'd only sort of opened up about, was it your OCD, two years ago? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that for a moment. I So I've I've been very open about being neurodivergent. Yes. Right. I've been very open yeah. about the sensory processing issues and all those kinds of things and yeah. didn't actually name the OCD part of it until like two years ago. I was just going to say, I think it's interesting because I was really scared to to open up about it. Yeah. Um, and I realized that that was, you know, like internalized ableism on my part, right? Yes. And, we all have that. I still very much have that. And I had to let go of that. And I was so blown away by the fact that people were so receptive and so willing to tell me their own stories after I came for and didn't think of me differently wow. unless they thought of me sort of they were happy. I had so many people who said, you know, I feel like I can now start talking about this too. And, so and I didn't realize I was starting a whole thing. You know, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. And and it's interesting because, um, I mean, I don't know if this is common in, in America, but over here uh, it's starting to shift towards including, uh, you know, all mental health within being neurodivergent. So you can just be, you know, have a personality disorder or uh just have I don't know schizophrenia or any of those type of things and you're still considered neurodivergent it's not just the neurodevelopmental disorders or conditions like I prefer we prefer right right yeah and I think that America the United States is just starting to get there we're you know I I, gotcha ADHD dyslexia all the learning disabilities and I know that like in the UK learning disabilities means something different than it does in the United States so like there's all of these sort of oh does it it does it does so we're when when we're talking about learning disabilities in the United States we're talking about sort of those learning impacts, dyslexia, ADHD, dysgraphia, those kinds of things. But I think we're just starting to get to the point where people are realizing it's, it's about, it's like the brain version of biodiversity, right? You know, it's just, yes, your variance in how your brain is, is processing information. So I think I may have been the first person in my circle who said OCD I'm considering that part of my neurodivergence. Amazing. And I was like, okay, we're going in. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to, but it's true. It doesn't, you know, you can't separate out the pieces of how your brain works. You can't say like, this is the autism and this is the, you know. Yeah. And especially with OCD and autism, because there is a lot of overlap with uh, the more, you know, obsessive, repetitive thoughts of autism and OCD. I haven't been diagnosed with OCD myself, but I highly identify with OCD um, to the point where I'm actually considering being checked out. <laughs> well, and I'm on the opposite where I have so many of the same traits as as other autistic individuals that I almost yeah. think I need to go and, and think about whether ah. or not it's autism. I have two autistic sons, right. so that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we know that women tend to fly under the radar in that regard. We too. do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, have you got ADHD diagnosis? I don't. I have anxiety, sensory processing, and OCD, which sound a lot like I feel like autism. that's autism. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm pretty – I mean, I'm not I a know. medical professional, but wow. <laughs> that's exa- That's like I in know. a nutshell. 
I think I may have just described oh, so the, the trifecta there. Exactly, right? yeah. exactly. Yeah. No, I don't know. Who knows? But, you know, I think it's definitely something worth investigating. And it's it's interesting you say that because, you know, you're one of the people that I think is, you know, most well-versed in this area and yet you still question your own potential autistic traits. And so if you're doing that, how about all of us that have no experience in education or mental health at all and we're just so confused by it like when I found out I was autistic was when I went in to be assessed for ADHD and I got both and I had no clue and even when I went to research it initially I was like I'm not this what this is ridiculous like all the things described made no sense but it's when I really dug deeper and hit you know listening to the the few Mm-hmm. you know gender diverse and female voices out there that shared their own internal experience that wasn't you know the external presentation of autism that's so much what the diagnostic criteria is uh, and most of research based you know it's what we're observed doing but as you know you know working with gifted children and and having your own children with this is that it's not obvious you know it's not. Yeah. And I think I question it in part, you know, it goes back to the, the you heard me on Bright and Quirky and talking about this, what we call twice exceptionality, right? Yes. And in part, I think it goes back to that. And so twice exceptionality, sometimes you'll see it as 2E or twice exceptional. And it's a really hard thing to talk about sometimes. I think you and I, you know, talked about that a little bit. It's hard to talk about because people have a hard time understanding Sometimes that twice exceptionality, what it is, is you you have somebody who is intellectually gifted mm-hmm. and also has a disability. And it doesn't have to be a neurodivergent disability. It doesn't have to be ADHD or autism. It could also be a physical disability. True. And the two of them don't cancel each other out. They're mm-hmm. both true. And I think a lot of times when people talk about that, they hear the giftedness and they sort of let go of the disability component of it. But they are both true. And they are both things that impact us as individuals. Like it's really Mm. asynchronous development, asynchronous, of course, being that sort of uneven development, you know? Yes. Oh, that's such a good way to describe it. (laughs) And and it doesn't go away, right? I've always been 2E, you know, and of course, it was always sort of described as, you know, you're a quirky kid and those kinds of things. And I, you know, I like the phrase quirky, but I also think it can cover up Mm. real things, right? I totally agree. And, and so, for me, I think I'm still trying to figure out, you know, should I go get evaluated? Is that going to be helpful? You know, I've learned all of these things that mask over time. You know, there's there's this part of my brain that just knows. exactly, And then there's this part of my brain that's like, well, what difference would it make? And I know it would make all the difference in the yeah, world. Definitely. But, you know, you talk about your son and I think, oh, that's my kids. Yeah. Those were my my little, my one, mine's aren't little anymore. My, I have a 26-year-old daughter, a 19-year-old son, and a 12-year-old Amazing. son. The, the 12 and 19-year-old are both ADHD, autistic, 2E kids. And they were just, from the moment they came home from the hospital with me, or like, oh, there's something unusual about these boys. Yeah, yeah. But not bad unusual, just no. unusual. Yeah. 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 I think that's so important. And it's, I, you know, I, I actually, I asked Amanda to explain twice exceptional because she's one of the, my favorite people that I've ever heard explain it. And I find it quite difficult to articulate myself. Uh, but it's, it's so true. And the other thing that, 
I guess I want to add, I think something that's also missed is that kids that are gifted on the opposite end, they are sort of assumed to be not quite bright enough because they're not given accommodations for their disability. And therefore, you know, maybe they're an A minus student, but they absolutely have potential to be like ducks of the school or, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, top of the class but they're being held back. But because they're smart enough to accommodate, I guess, a little bit for those disabilities, they're sort of just ignored because, well, you're not getting fails. So we've got other problems, which makes sense. But And those are the the kids who, if they end up having an evaluation, you look at what's called, it's relative discrepancies. We're looking for relative discrepancies. So so kids who score incredibly high yes. on working memory, for example, and really low on vocabulary comprehension or the, the other way around, mm. but yet they're still in the average range. But mm-hmm. what you're looking at is this huge gap in between these things. And that should be a tip off. It should be a tip off saying like, if you can be really great at all of these amazing things, you can be in the 99th percentile. We should look at why you're at the 13th percentile in this other one. Yeah. But you have to get to the point where you're evaluating kids, right? And that's that's kind of a and adults and adults too, right? You know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think like I look back and and sort of think, well, what what could have been signs? Because the other thing I recently I shouldn't do this to myself, but I was watching a YouTube video from a, a pediatric uh, occupational therapist that most of her content is quite decent and quite up to date. You know, everything from, you know, how to teach your kid to eat solids and speak and all those things, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she did one on recognizing early signs of autism, <laughs> which was an immediate. <laughs> red flag for me and I I love that I just said red flag because she said red flag about a hundred times in this five minute video yeah and I was like wow wow (laughs) Uh, first off (laughs) exactly (laughs) a trait a sign anything other than scaremongering negative language please like it is not a red flag to be me (laughs) (laughs) That's such, I love that. That's the, I think that's like my, I need that on a t-shirt. It's not a red flag to be me because it's not, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not, but I think back too, and I think of all of the things, you know, like all of the clothes I couldn't wear. I I think about, I grew up, um, you know, I grew up in the era of corduroys and like turtlenecks. Oh, yes. And I remember putting like a Frisbee in the neck of my turtleneck to try and stretch it out enough like overnight to keep it like that. Because I felt like I was being choked again, like hugged yeah. to death. And I, I'm so, I think that's so creative of you. I just absolutely refused to wear them. I, you know, said to my mom, get that off me. Never again. <laughs> I may have ended up with scissors and some, you know, like, but those kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. You, know? you yeah. adapt, right? And, right? and this is the thing is that I think people think that if you have these, you know, divergences or differences, whatever you want to call them, that it's going to be really obvious and overt. But actually, we learn to mask almost naturally or as like an adaptive response to the constant microaggressions and trauma of being taken differently in the world. Most of these things are so, you know, naturally hidden because children, as you know, want to be loved and accepted. We all do. Humans do. But more so children very much crave connection 
with their peers and approval from their parents. So if you've got parents who are even slightly, and I'm not blaming parents at all here, I think, you know, I think this is a really touchy area because parents should never be blamed. But equally, I think it's okay for parents to say, I need to be supported and given the right education and tools to help my child. Because I feel like in a way to almost negate any blame on themselves, which shouldn't even be there to begin with. And I love you've spoken about, you know, Mm. superhero versus, you know, the superhero, superpower rhetoric around why we need, you know, why it is important to talk about the good things about our our neurodifferences and equally acknowledge the struggles, which is why we're like disabled or special needs or whatever you want to call it. Right. Well, I I do think that parents you know, as parents, we don't always listen to what our kids are saying, right? Because we're so caught up in parenting. We're so caught up in like the world and doing it and all those things. One of the advantages that I think you and I both have is knowing what it's like internally, like knowing what it feels like to be on the other side of that tag. That's the only thing you can think about. And you can't even like figure out how to put your shoe on because you're just thinking like, this is going Mm -hmm. to drive me Mm -hmm. over the edge all day long. So I had that advantage when I was, you know, with parenting, but not all parents understand that internal Mm -hmm. struggle. And what they see is that outward behavior, right? So they don't see it as like, there's something here that's actually really upsetting. They see it as my child's behaving in an upsetting way. And so when I talk with parents and I do a lot of, you know, parent workshops, I do that a lot of time in parent training. The first thing I say is like, you need to think of behavior as a form of communication, right? Behavior is always communicating something. Oh, I love that. And, you know, I will say as a mom myself, I'm not always on top of that. Like I have to remember sometimes like, oh yeah, no, you can't say that because if you're going to tell other people it's communication, you have to think of it that way yourself. But I think, you know, I think just taking the time to stop and ask like, what's going on for you. Yeah. And also to assume that there is something deeper because Mm -hmm. even with kids, I think all humans, any sort of outwardly seen as negative behavior, most of the time isn't intentionally negative, right? Right. Dr. Ross Green says the most amazing thing. He says, you know, kids will do well if they can. And, and that has stuck with me for so many years. And they will. They, they want to do well. You talked about them craving connection. Mm. And you talked about and they They want to be loved. They want to be liked. They want to be part of the crowd. Sure. Some of them. I mean, I actually am thinking about myself. I never really wanted to be part of the crowd. I'm not a, like to this day, I'm not sure. People would not, people I know yeah. would laugh if they heard me say that because I act like I'm part of the crowd, right? but I would much rather sort of be yes. in the corner with a I book I think that's somewhere. so protective though, because as someone who was very much a, I want to be part of the crowd, people pleaser, I, I almost wish I had that element of, I don't really care. Not, I don't care, but it's not as important to me just because it, I think it's, I think it's a really healthy way to think when you are different because you don't put all your self-worth and value on being accepted by others, which we so often are not, well, completely anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I think that goes, you know, that goes to that whole conversation that you heard me talk about, like advocating at work. It, It goes there where, you know, for some reason something happened in my brain, you know, 
I won't say how old I am, but I'm older than my yes. 20s and older than my 30s. Nice. So I'll, I'll go there, right? And something in my late 20s, early 30s, and my brain was just like, you know what? People don't always have to like you. And that's okay. Um, yep. Yeah, I've learned and that too. <laughs> it took me that long. Right. I, but I, I didn't learn that until my mid 20s, you know, especially yeah, when absolutely. you knew you're different. Right. And part of that is knowing that if you speak up about what you need, people don't have to like that you need something different. They just have to hear you. True. Right. And, and that's to me, that's the difference is being able to say, I don't need you to understand. I just need you yes. to know this is true. And then I say that so often to people like you may not understand this, but it's still true. Oh, I love that. I've been trying to implement some of your amazing lessons because uh, I've openly told my work uh, when I went back from mat leave uh, a few months ago that I'm autistic and they've been so supportive about it and made so many accommodations that you know, I've suggested because they're sort of like, just tell us what you need, <laughs> uh, which is great. <laughs> you know, it'd be great one day to, for them to know a little bit more, but that, I mean, okay. I like, I'm happy to do the educating. I just, I don't feel like that should be on us to do, but anyway, it's <laughs> another topic. Um, <laughs> I digress. I, one thing I, I have noticed though, and to no ill intent, cause I, I have a great boss and she's just so wonderful and supportive, but something that I noticed that I'm sure others who have tried to advocate for themselves, whether they outwardly be sharing their neurodivergence or just talking about their preferences at work as any human would, you don't have to be neurodivergent to need accommodations and preferences in communication and everything. Right. <laughs> right? But right. Uh, one thing I, I noticed is I, I tried to explain to them that I preferred emails and that I would only do phone calls if it was really necessary but I noticed very quickly that a few of them kind of ignored that and not in a like disrespectful yeah. way. I think they just almost forgot. And, you know, I found myself sort of almost needing to explain why, which is such a difficult area to navigate because I feel like mm. the main way I can explain why is by going through all the negative, like the anxiety inducing parts of that, which is very very vulnerable and very uncomfortable to share to your professional colleagues. And yet I felt like I needed to justify that request and accommodation, if you know what I mean. I do. I do. And one of the things I, I hear that and I, oh boy, do I empathize. I, I really <laughs> do. Um, and also one of the things that I had implemented when I, with my team was everybody everybody filled out a sort of like how to work with me guide. Oh, so good. Whether or not you have a disability or a difference or anything, it's just a way of saying like, we all work differently. We all think in different ways. We all have different preferences. And so it's something you can point back to and say, you know, this is just how I work better. And you're I'm going to be more productive this way. And while there are those negatives, and I feel the same way, you know, I'm, I, I don't like... <laughs> I don't like picking up the phone if I don't know somebody's going to call. I don't like, you know, those are the kinds of things that make me very anxious. Same. Um, it's terrifying. My my husband is fantastic about being the one who will like actually call to make appointments, even if they're for me. And I'm just, oh, so it's good. ridiculous. He's really good about it. And yet 
I don't feel the need to say it's because of my anxiety. What I can say is because I'll be more productive. Oh, I like that. I'm going to use that. <laughs> and and so flipping that has been really helpful. Yeah. And the other thing that I do sometimes is, you know, we have um, inter-office messaging like the, the yeah. Slack, yeah, Slack, Slack yeah. channels, which, oh, stress me out. Stresses me out. Stresses me out because I have it like, ping. you know, coming through all mm-hmm. the time. And, and so I always have my notifications muted and like some message that says whatever. And sometimes someone will, you know, when they, when people slack me, I can slack back sometimes, but sometimes what I say is, can you just paste this into an email for me? And the reason I need you to paste this in like, you don't even have to put a subject line, just paste it into an email and send exactly what you just slacked me. So I can tag it in my inbox that it needs attention. And then you're going to get a response from me. And people have been really wonderful about doing that. And in fact, other people have started doing it, Amazing, which is really funny. You know, um, I also have a line under my signature and my email signature that says my working hours may not be your working hours. Please don't feel obligated to reply when I've sent this. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. I love and that. And I've seen other people adopt that too, you know. <laughs> so I, I think it's one of those things where it's about productivity, right? We want to make sure that people are understanding that if you want the best me, mm. these are the ways you're going to get the best version of me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And I think... You know, it raises so many important points because with, you know, wanting that type of copy and pasting of a message, I I feel like there's so many benefits regardless of what your needs are. You know, you've got a record that's, you know, filed. You've got ability to use your technology to prioritize your need to respond or action it. You've got your working memory. I don't know about you, but I literally will forget conversations I've had, um, you know, if I've texted someone on any of those type of platforms, yep. it's like it's gone from my mind. <laughs> uh, so yeah. there's just so, and that's one of like my, I have so, so many anxieties about phone calls and, you know, some of them are the more traditional anxiety of worst case scenario, the unknown, what am I going to have to say? But some of it is like, will I remember? You know, because <laughs> I I can hang up and be like, uh, what did they want me to do again? And that sounds so silly, but that's working memory. Like, there's nothing to be ashamed about. It's literally the definition of working memory, which is having information in your brain long enough to do something with it. You know? Yeah. It, yeah. And. I mean, my my desktop is littered with sticky notes because I'm Love writing it. it. And sometimes I'll look at it and go, I, what did I mean? I wrote down three yes. words. I don't know what they mean. <laughs> you know, I, do I that. didn't know what I was trying to tell myself there. <laughs> but the other interesting thing about the copy and paste thing is yeah. it also it forces other people to think about whether what they need is actually something they need or something that they want, right? Yes. And so sometimes if that email doesn't come my way, I know that they have figured it out on their own, that they didn't actually need me to to do it, that they yeah. could figure out it was more work to put it in the email than it was to just do whatever they needed to do. Oh, amazing. So it's even better. Which is interesting to me. It's interesting. It's it an is. interesting sort of, it's like a test. I don't mean it to be, but it ends up. No. Being well. <laughs> well, and internally, I guess for them, because it, it's, you know, working on their own executive function, for them, it's like, well, it'd be more effort for me to type this out, copy, paste it and send an email than to just do it, which makes yeah. you think, how many of that's happening because we have so many, so much access to these apps that allow really quick uh, responses, you know, <laughs> it's, it's almost like a, this is just, I'll just message them, but actually you could have just wait, like taken an extra two minutes and figured it out.
it's, it's, I have all of these little things that I say at work that people are probably like, oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But the, the other thing is, you know, the, I don't know how many times I think this is a very common work thing, you know, just have a quick question mm. for you. And my answer is usually a quick question doesn't always have a quick answer, True. you know, so email it to me. You know? I love um, that. So it's an Amandaism, yes. I think, that people, oh, I think she's your tell me it doesn't next have a quick... book needs yeah. to be called Amandaisms and be full of this type <laughs> of advice because honestly, it is like some of the most practical, useful advice that I've ever had. And I've ordered your, your latest book and it's all about adulting. And I wanted to ask you about adulting you know the term and what you think of it and I'm just so excited to get dive into that as well and I I, I want to tell people about it because I think it would help both them and maybe even their children that are you know getting into those years of needing to become more independent definitely so the book is called adulting made easy things someone should have told you about getting your grown-up back together best name I love I liked the, the first name though oh yes <laughs> yeah yeah no I can't say that adulting is hard you can't say that (laughs) the the, the full title of the first one I proposed I can't say out loud but uh, okay gotcha and and I you know I have feelings about the word adulting because it's kind of like you know I have kids in their 20s and and kids in their teens my own they're not kids anymore but they're my kids right yeah and and they do that like oh adulting is so hard and I'm just like it is it really is yeah and they look at me like how is it still hard for you? And I'm like, because it's hard. <laughs> you know, like, it it's is. Just, it's hard. Yeah. But I wrote the book that honestly I needed when I started out in the world. Because, and actually, one of the things I loved about writing this book is I got to be more me than I'd ever been in any of the other books I've written. So I, you know, this is the fifth book I've written. And I got to, you know, use a little bit of my humor and a little bit of my, my story. And the whole introduction is just telling about how I failed at adulting when I went out into the world. I just, I just botched it so badly in my twenties. And I was just, I was not good at it. And what I realized is how can you be good at it? Like, it's really hard. You weren't really given the tools. Right. Like, right. (laughs) And then, yeah, uh, people ignore that. And one of the things that I really leaned into in the book was communication, because I realized for me, that was a really hard part. You know, there were things in there like scripts for phone calls that I still like mm. need. <laughs> and same. Right. And I was yeah. so excited to be able to write them down and give them to other people and pretend that they're for other people and not for me. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes. You know. It's the best thing um, about this. It's not just you know, us and, guys. It's not. And and actually was interesting. Um, both of my older kids have a copy of the book. They actually went through the outline with me because I wanted to see if there was if I was missing anything. They will refer to it. I think that they pretend they don't use it, but they actually use the book, you know, and it's a joke in our house. I'm just like, you know, someone wrote a really good book about this. You might want to look it up and say chapter seven, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so good. Every parent needs this, but it's even things like, what do you need in a first aid kit, right? To have in your house or, and I tell the story of like Mm -hmm. looking for a bandaid when I couldn't find a bandaid for myself. You know, you're, yeah. you're like scotch tape and a tissue is going to work, right? <laughs> you know, kind of. Yeah. And it's funny because I feel like, you know, the neurotypical people listening to this, if they even are, are going to be like, this is ridiculous. How did they not know? But here's the thing. I don't think so. Because the feedback I've gotten on the book. You don't reckon? 
I have had more people say, this is the book that I needed. And I'm realizing they are neurotypical. Oh my goodness. It's not just us. And it was really, it's not just us. It's just, I was excited by that. I think maybe the totally not doing it well and not understanding the world well enough to do it the first time around may be more of a me thing. Yeah. Us thing. But yeah, 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 an us (laughs) thing. But I think what I'm hearing is people, you know, people are buying it for graduation gifts for their, their oh, so good. family. Yeah. And it's also, I think, conversations that kids don't want to have with their parents, right? So if you, yes, they just don't give because they know everything at that age. They do. They do. Um, mm. We know nothing. And that's like admitting that you don't, like the things in it that's so critical, basic life skills. Yeah. It's so hard when you're, you know, a a very confident teen that doesn't want to admit to not knowing things to admit that this basic stuff and that I love I don't know if I like the term basic or adulting but I don't know a better way to describe it but that sort of stuff that you feel like should be natural and intrinsic knowledge isn't and I think that is sort of the theme of everything I do for work is that we need to make the what we think is implicit explicit because none of yes. it's explicit unless we say it out loud, right? It's just so not true. because there's always mm-hmm. somebody who's not going to get it intrinsically. And so there are things that I narrate. I, t- I talked about this in, 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 I talk about it in my, this is yeah. so funny. I talk about this in my how to work with Amanda guide. Um, I do this thing where I'm narrating and yeah. I, I, I kind of like look up into my own head when I'm thinking and I will at work or I'll, or somebody yeah. else at somewhere else, I'll say, this is my thinking face. Oh, I love that. And it's become a like this hilarious joke. In fact, when my book came out, I have a friend who sent me a, a custom mug that says, this is my adulting face, <laughs> which <laughs> I just so loved. <laughs> But I narrate those things because I don't assume anybody knows what's happening on my face. I don't assume that anybody can read that. You know, there are things I'll say like, I'm not angry. I'm just thinking or, you know, I don't have an answer yet. Mm. So give me a minute. You know, there are all these things that I just narrate out loud because I'm always assuming there's somebody who's not confident enough to say, I don't know what's happening in this moment. True. Uh, I find that really interesting because I have a very similar way of thinking and uh, I, I don't know about you but for me and I, I'm totally going to use that now this is my Annie face my, oh, sorry I'm not Annie face but this is my thinking face I love that um, because <laughs> the reason that I even know that I have that is because I've had multiple experiences especially early on in my career where people would be truly concerned <laughs> when when I was like concentrating either you know there was one job I had where I my desk faced a, a walkway in a cubicle and people would walk past and I'd just be reading the screen but I'd be like really like squinting and glaring at it because I, I don't have glasses but I have dyslexia so reading is complicated for me <laughs> I, I can I can read fine it's just I'm a little slower right. than most people and yeah. Anyway, uh, and so they'd be, walk past me. Oh my! Are you okay? And I, and I'm immediately sh- like would hate that comment because I'm like, oh well, what's my face saying? Because it's clearly not. I'm just thinking. I'm like, and then also like the social script of right. they actually really don't want to know if I'm okay. Besides that, I'm not like breaking. You know? Exactly. Exactly. So I'd be like, yeah, I am. And then I'm like, am, am I? I don't know. Like, 
<laughs> that's so I never actually considered whether or not that's why I started doing that. But I think it is. I think it yeah. is. I must have a very specific look when yeah. I'm thinking. Like, I feel like I'm looking inside my own brain. So I don't know what that looks like from the outside. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> and so I may have just started doing that because I was getting the same kind of response, Feedback. which is like, mm. you okay? You, you okay? Yeah. And I never thought about the fact that some people ask that and they want to know, right? But it's a very yes. different thing. If they keep walking as they're asking it, they just want you to say yes. Exactly. But, you know, if they stop and they say, are you okay? Yeah. Then you know that they really want to know. And then it interrupts yeah. your thinking face. <laughs> exactly. And then I'm like, oh, now I have to re-engage what I was doing, which is a whole nother issue with working memory and all of that. <laughs> yeah, I, it's very polite. It's very polite of them. But um, and, and even like my husband knows that I do this and we've been together for, God, almost 12 years now. Actually, more than 12. Wow. <laughs> um, it's just crazy how fast it goes. And he still does it very rarely but there was uh, I think it was even less than a month ago I was listening to a podcast which was just so fascinating and I was like glaring into the distance and he happened to be near that distance on the other side of the lounge room in his little study and he, he said twice to me in five minutes are you okay and I'm like I'm literally just thinking like leave me alone and he knows that I do this, but sometimes when I'm really concentrating, it must look like I want to kill someone. <laughs> so I will say one of the joys of our household is everybody has something going on. So I have, you know, yes. two autistic sons. My husband has ADHD and a language-based learning disability. You know, I joke Love all it. the time that we're just neurons gone wild over here. And that's yeah, so good. So <laughs> nobody thinks anything of it in my house it's when I leave my house that I realize like everybody's gonna think something yes it. that's when people will yeah. comment yes yeah that's me too usually <laughs> so I don't think the solution is to not leave my house but although it's it's one solution no. but it's not the right one it is so I exclusively work from home in my what I like to call day job because I do a lot of jobs <laughs> my traditional job uh, and that's you know thanks to COVID because that role was not possible to do from home mm. before COVID and now it's there's no issue with it and I've I'm been more productive than ever and I don't have to deal with all of the issues that I used to have to face on a daily basis that would drain me Ooh. and lead to burnout and it's just been so amazing. So I, I agree that we d shouldn't become complete hermits unless you want to, right. no judgment. Right. But at the same time, it is bloody nice to, <laughs> to not have to really constantly force it. Completely. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I used to travel a lot more before COVID. I used to travel for conferences. I used to travel for meetings and things like that. And I would come home. I live, I live in the United States. I live in Maine. I live in this very sort of quiet area. My office is based in New York City, which is not quiet, but also I love it. <laughs> and I don't sleep much when I'm there because I'm so overstimulated. Yes. I don't have my weighted blanket with me because if you've ever tried to take a weighted blanket oh, through no. an airport, it's weighted. It weighs too much to go <laughs> with you. Good luck packing anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Literally in the name, like weighted blanket. Um, so it doesn't come with yeah. me. And the lights are so bright and I come home and my family is really wonderful about knowing that I literally 
cannot talk to somebody for the next two days because mm-hmm. I'm just so shut down. It's just too much for me. Yeah. So, you know, I've had the advantage of actually being able to do a lot of this remotely and I feel so much healthier for I it. Bet. Because I'm not having that sort of ups and downs and dips and and things like that with my nervous system. Um, yeah, you know, the more we talk, the more I'm like, yeah, I really need to go <laughs> to, yeah. to a neuropsychologist. <laughs> Only if you want to. Self self identification is valid, so, people. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I guess this that's a good point because uh, I mean, always all of it is a good point. But um, you know, having control over your environment is so helpful, and Something that's really quite interesting to me is, you know, I I don't agree with functioning labels at all. I get why they're used. They're an easy way to describe certain things. Like, for instance, to be able to say someone who's maybe twice exceptional is high functioning, even though that's not necessarily true, or at least what you see of it. Maybe they're high functioning in front of you, but they're not behind closed doors, which is definitely my story. This is uh, my skeptical face. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Audio description. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I don't like functioning labels, but besides that, because they're not official, right, is the levels, autism level one, two, and three, I I fundamentally disagree with. And, and I never want to, you know, not acknowledge autistic people that have more struggles and can't show up in the world as much as I have the privilege of doing. But at the same time, I think those levels inherently imply, well, one, it's discrimination, right? I mean, the ones that are level three are considered less than, and then the ones that are level one are not Mm -hmm. bad enough to need support. Like uh, we, we have a system called the NDIS, the National Disability Insurance Scheme. And if you're a level two or three, you're automatically accepted. But if you're a level one, you have to really fight to explain why you need support. And sometimes they're not even given it and sometimes they're only given a little bit. And I've never publicly said this, but I'm level two. And most people would probably be really surprised to hear that. And if you actually look at the diagnostic criteria, which is supposed to be considered when you're at your worst, not your average or your best day, I absolutely fit into level two and I'm very lucky that my psychiatrist who diagnosed me is one of the leading psychiatrists in Australia and his books have been shut for three years since I was diagnosed. So no one asked me who he is because unfortunately I can't get you in (laughs) and that is another problem. But anyway, uh, I'm really lucky because he, so he works exclusively with adults with ADHD and autism specifically and is better better place than pretty much any professional, especially in Australia, to understand the nuance. And he is the one that first told me I was twice exceptional, which I had no idea what that meant at the time. And I've now obviously looked into it and my psychologist it has, has helped me understand that part of me. And I, I guess the reason I bring this up is for people listening if they don't understand this because it took me so long to get, wrap my head around it and I'm still kind of getting there. But I think that the levels, I don't, I mean, and maybe this is just because I don't know if this is privilege and I don't want to offend anyone saying this, but I don't think they're very helpful in terms of how they're broken down into access to support and and to justifying your support needs. Uh, I think if anything, they're just limiting. I'm very choked up listening to you 
Like I didn't expect this yeah. because one of the things that I have often experienced is at my worst, I'm still able to describe that I'm not okay. Same. It's a big problem. <laughs> and when you can tell somebody how not okay you are, and this is part of the twice exceptionality thing, right? This is part of being like a very gifted, literally giftedly intelligent person Yeah, is you're much more articulate all the time. Yes. In some ways, whether you're articulate verbally or you're articulate and as a non-speaking person. And I yes. think that's important too. I do too. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and when you're at your worst, you're like most people at their best. Yes. And wow, I'm really like, yeah. I didn't expect to be so emotional, but it's, it's fine. It's I, fine I because you. I think it's important when I have spoken to people and said, I'm not okay, I'm not doing well. They're like, well, but you're, you seem fine. And, you know, and I'm saying like, I'm not okay. You know, they, yeah. And they're saying, if you can say you're not okay, you're doing okay. And, and I've often, you know, there've been a, more than a few times I've brought oh, my wow. husband with me so he can say she's not herself. Same. Oh my gosh. This is giving me goosebumps. <laughs> and yep. it's, it's so hard. And so I think some of what you're talking about really speaks to me in that way. Because, you know, when I say to you, I shut down for two days after, I mean it, like, sincerely. Mm -hmm. I, I cannot form words. No, no part of me like, is surprised. You know, <laughs> yeah. Of course, right? And, and yeah. I, you know, I, I, I can't put words together. I sleep for, like, 10 hours straight oh, yes. because I just need to, like, regenerate, if you will. Mm -hmm. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I have Doctor Who fans in my family, so it's just to regenerate. That's what we do. Love we don't it. rejuvenate. I'm a sci-fi nerd. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's such a misunderstood part of twice exceptional. Yeah. yeah. Is, I, is that I totally agree. if you can talk about it, then you're okay. But no, no, there are some days where I am just not. And that's one of the reasons I started advocating at work. And that's one of the reasons I did share about having OCD because Maybe. something about the pandemic just made it really extreme for me in a way that I just couldn't hide anymore and, and you know and I shouldn't I feel like mm. I shouldn't have been anyway but that's you shouldn't have to yeah, yeah you know but it makes sense that you are and it was that ability to say you know I'm having a really hard day and I need and I need you to just know that you know and and not even to say to anybody this is what I need from you or I or I need time off or I need just I just need you to know that I'm not thinking as quickly that there are things inside my own head that are distracting me that I can't control right now like like all of these things things so good um but i mean what you're you're absolutely it's just you're speaking to me here is it really resonates yeah 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 <laughs> yeah i i find that really interesting because i personally when i hear you say that i think immediately like i think you're killing it the fact that you can even identify that you're struggling because for me i don't even have that i i actually outwardly seem so normal not normal but like not hmm. distressed I guess and I don't because I have I have intro, like quite bad introception issues and alexithymia which is struggling to read and communicate my own feelings which would probably surprise most people because I'm pretty articulate talking about my feelings these days but that's with years of therapists helping me figure out alternative ways to do that which is so so good and people need to know that that's a thing. <laughs> but, you know, I when I am really distressed, I don't really know until 
kind of too late. And the most common way it will come out for me, especially if I am in a safe enough place, like with my parent, with my parents or my husband in the private, I'll be extremely verbally aggressive. I don't know if I like the term aggressive, but like quite, you know, tongue lashing, Mm. nasty. Like I go into this like really angry mode of and and because I you know I was debating school captain and I'm a lawyer so I know how to put an argument together and I know how to crush people verbally um I've always been very hyperlexic verbally but struggled with reading and writing it's so such a disconnect uh but you know my parents still to this day even though they're so much more educated they still struggle to identify when I'm maybe just being grumpy or intentionally mean, which is rare, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Or if I'm like sort of in meltdown mode and, and because my meltdowns are that verbal anger and criticism, I guess, it's really hard for anyone to know that that's actually me really not coping it's so, so, so difficult. And usually it's not until the damage is done uh, that, you know, my parents have, my parents, now they're getting better, but they used to fight back because, you know, they're also very good at arguing and they're like, you're being unreasonable, which I absolutely was (laughs) and am in those moments (laughs) unintentionally. And so, which just escalates things. And, And something that I feel so privileged because my husband, who was diagnosed ADHD and attentive after I was, which I find hilarious because that's predominantly the female presentation and he was missed until his 30s. <laughs> Non-discriminatory, right? It's, right, exactly. It, it, it can affect anyone. But it also shows like the, ex, like the external presentation of ADHD mm-hmm. um, because like many girls within attentive, he wasn't really – Uh, you know outwardly a big problem in school other than never listening and forgetting things constantly right Uh, anyway I I digress (laughs) um what was I saying the the lashing out being the the yes lashing out yeah yeah Yeah, so I, I feel really privileged because uh you know even though my husband and I didn't know we were neurodivergent when we met one of the things that we initially very much bonded on was that we understood each other and, you know, I, we still get irritated at each, at each other all the time about our differences. But at the same time, just because we both have quite – no, I wouldn't say severe. But just because we have those differences means that we get that they're a thing and it's not really a choice most of the time. So, you know, when I say that, when I would get angry at him, and this probably – talks to his childhood as well because he he's had a, a very uh, he's got the best family I love my in-laws but uh he's so calm and he doesn't like lash out back at me if anything he helps me de-escalate he laughs and not in a not in a um you're ridiculous kind of way but in a like you're really funny <laughs> because I mean it is funny <laughs> And he helps me. It, it's like a click in my head where I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, something's going on. And that is actually amazing for me to recognize I'm headed down that path. And usually like eight times out of 10, that will literally stop me from getting to the point where I'm having to mend relationships or 
really go and retreat and and replenish my cup and spoons, which is just phenomenal. And I never had that until I met him. And to now know about our brains and and know that that actually works because it's helped me say, well, to my parents, maybe try this technique, a.k.a. what my husband does, because they think he's like a magician with me. (laughs) (laughs) He's the Annie whisperer. (laughs) He is. But but I I mean, I I do like talking about this because I, I so much of the rhetoric out there around autism in especially in women is still very much focused on, you know, not being able to commute like to speak Mm -hmm. and or like hysterical crying or rocking in a corner or what are those stereotypes which definitely I'm sure that is how some people present but I I guess it's so important and this is why I really love talking about twice exceptionality because it's an area that I think is so heavily missed because we're not a problem to people because we still are pretty successful (laughs) I mean I'm extremely successful even for a neurotypical in my life and yet that does not negate the insane amount of suffering I've I've had to deal with especially mental health wise like having developed an eating disorder having really poor self-esteem and self-worth having complete energy chaos like you know which is all thankfully now coming under control purely from understanding my own neurodivergence but I don't think it should be that people are not functioning at all or that we are an outwardly painful person to deal with for others for us to get the help we deserve, right? I completely agree. And, you know, it, it, I, I think I do that sometimes too, that, that lashing out. What I, what I hear myself doing a lot of time is I'm yelling, I'm yelling, I'm not yelling at you. I'm just yelling. Like, like I'm, you know, like, and I'm saying things, but I like, I've gotten to the point where I'm saying, I'm not yelling at you. I'm just yelling near you. And I'm just, I love that. You know, um, (laughs) you can steal all all your tips. It's so good. (laughs) But you know, it's, I think what people do not understand is how much work goes into this on a daily basis, right? Like I'm an incredibly successful person too. I'm an incredibly successful and I will, I'm proud of it and I own it and I, and I, I am, you know, I'm, I'm a leader. I'm sure some of that is because of your neurodivergence, right? I think, I think probably more than some of it, right? I think a little, you know, more than a little of it, but at the same time, you know, I'm like a duck. You don't see the feet paddling under the water all the time, right? You just see the duck sort of floating past and you think, what a graceful duck. And I'm thinking, I'm not graceful. <laughs> like the, the the feet are paddling under there so fast. And if I stop, I don't know what happens. And yep. and it's all going on internally. And I think people, you know, some <laughs> did you grow up with those phones that were invisible? So like like they were they were clear and you could see the insides of the telephone. Oh yes, yeah. I yeah, think yeah. I'm showing I think my we age had Game a little Boys bit. Like that. I think Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Yeah. And some days I wish I was a person like that. Yes. You know, not they could so see people your could internal see dialogue yes people would like, be I terrified would love- it would be like a oh, my- highway and everyone else would be like a pretty polka dot pattern or something <laughs> I think I don't yes yes <laughs> yes so my husband my husband and I actually we we have that similar kind of thing it took us a while to get there though because I'm hyperlexic you know yes. like you and he he processes language much slower and yeah. so 
I have, you know, this ability to sort of steamroll forward without realizing that that he hasn't followed me, yes. right? Yes. And it took us, you know, we've been together almost, oh my gosh, almost 20 years, right? Like, Amazing. so we've, we've found the way to understand that. But for a long time, we had to find that balance between mm. we're accommodating him versus accommodating me. And then we realized it's like, we have to accommodate each other, right? Yes. That, that kind of thing has to happen, which is, I think people don't understand that that happens in every relationship we have in our lives, not just with our spouses, not just with our children, it happens with our coworkers. It happens with, oh my goodness, it happens with the person <laughs> behind the counter at the grocery yes. store. When they ask a question and I just have this like, I'm not sure what the right answer is right Same. now because I'm not <laughs> thinking about what they asked me, you know. Yeah. It's this constant kind of like self evaluation and thought process and my brain never slows down yeah and it's actually painful yeah it's painful (laughs) and I think yep we don't talk about that often enough that that we don't that it's hard to be a person whose brain is always going a mile a minute um a kilometer a minute I think that would be free (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) you know good job (laughs) thank you (laughs) a hundred yeah a million yeah yeah that's bad that's, I'm terrible at uh distance <laughs> it's not my but I it was you know the best analogy I come up with in the moment but oh, I think, good. I'm just so impressed yeah. you said kilometer so you, it's awesome <laughs> I'm trying I'm trying, trying to be inclusive so well. of of everybody's measurement systems here <laughs> and yeah. and I think we don't talk about the fact that that's the part of having this kind of disability that is hard it is really mm. hard. And I think I love that there's this push towards neurodiversity and recognizing it and knowing that it has strengths and knowing that mm. it can be beneficial to have people in your workplaces and, and all of that who think in creative and different kinds of ways. But the flip side of that is we don't ever stop. Exactly. And and it's painful. It's hard yeah. because there are, I don't ever have a time where I don't have three thoughts going on at the same time, if not 20. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's a series of books that I read over and over and over again, only because I don't have to think about that. I do that with Harry Potter. How I Fall Asleep at Night. Okay. Harry Potter is the the series I was thinking of. Didn't want to say it, but yes. yes. And it puts me to sleep at night because I don't have to think about it. Same. I actually find that Oh, this is insane. I feel like you're, we are brain twins because I love reading and I have to, like at nighttime I read to go to sleep. It's the only way I can get my eyes yep. tired enough to sleep and I cannot read anything engaging. And by that, yes, something that I love like Harry Potter that I could literally recite to you or even like sort of a sci-fi fantasy that's not that exciting. Mm-hmm. Like not not exciting, but also not ridiculously fast paced. That I'm like, you know, I'll have nights where I accidentally have one of those books and I'll stay up till like four a.m. reading it, <laughs> or all night. Yes. So I, I have to find the right balance. But yeah, it's it's like that again. And that repetitiveness. I love watching my say my favorite shows over and over. Like I've watched The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel at least six times, all three seasons. <laughs> it is um, the best. 
thing in the whole world. Call the midwife is the one that I oh, do I that love with. Call the midwife. Yeah. Yeah. But it but it's it's that same soothing. And I actually just yes. read an article about why we go to the same shows to soothe our brains. And oh. I was like, ha ha, it's not just me. I was super excited to see that. Oh, you'll have to and send yet, it to me. That's awesome. I will. I will definitely send <laughs> yeah. it to you. And maybe, you know, we'll we'll send it out to the world too. So yes, can I can link it for better. people. Yeah, absolutely. And so important. It's the only way, and I and I wouldn't even say my brain's quiet. It's not quiet. Mm. It's just duller. You know, it's yes. a little quieter. It's dull it's enough that enough. you can fall to sleep. <laughs> right. <Sometimes. laughs> it's it's like I trick myself into it. You know, some days. Yeah. You know, but it's 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 a hard thing. It's a hard thing to have that going on all of the time, mm. and that's one of the things that I want people to understand about us people people like us where there's this component where it's not just the outside world that is hard it's the inside of us that's hard too the inside world and how how all of that information processes all the time without filtering mm. it exactly yeah well that's it part one of two very interesting discussions Stay tuned for the next half coming shortly. For those who are new here, I created this podcast as a platform to talk to incredible neurodivergent humans and our allies about how we show up in the world and how we can make a more neuroinclusive society. I only found out about my own neurodivergence at 28 years old, a few years ago now. Before then, I'd spent years trying to understand myself and trying to fix the parts of me that felt quote-unquote, broken. Discovering my neurodivergence was initially a shock, and when trying to understand it from a medical deficit-based perspective, things got dark real quick. It wasn't until I stumbled upon the neurodivergent community on social media where I started to see the light and learn to truly embrace my differences and practice radical self-acceptance, which has done wonders for my mental health and quality of life. I share my own stories mostly because I find examples helpful and also to hopefully make my neurokin feel less alone in their own struggle. I get multiple messages a day from women like me who share so many of these experiences. And although I don't love sharing some of the more difficult parts of my life, I do it for the benefit of you. Even if this helps even one of you to feel seen and heard and understood it's worth it to me. So join me on my journey of radical self-acceptance and trying to create a more neurodiversity affirming world. Don't forget to head over to our socials and connect at princessinthep.pod and I'm on there too at nd.millennial. That's two L's and two N's for those dyslexic minds like mine out there. If you enjoy this content and want more like it, please leave us a rating and review and share with all your friends and loved ones. It helps us out a lot. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Over and out.